Doug's been with us before, and every time he's here, it's been a great joy. So I, I am so grateful to God that Doug's here and that he gets to preach to us this morning. I've asked him, if you could tell one thing to Seven Mile Road in 2014, what would that be? And so that's what he's going to come and share. So I'm going to invite Doug to come. I'm going to pray for him that we would have hearts to hear him, and then we'll let him preach. Our Lord, we give you thanks for this brother, for his friend AJ, who's come and partner in the ministry, and for the church that they represent, for Epiphany Camden. We thank you, Lord, that though we're some 20 minutes apart, uh, we are connected in your body. Uh, we are part of one body with one head. Jesus Christ is Lord of us all, brothers and sisters in the same family with God as our Father. We pray that you would encourage our brother today, that as he's here, he would feel loved and served even as he's come here to serve us, that he would be refreshed and renewed, that he'd go back uh, ready and renewed for more gospel ministry, that you do great things through Epiphany Camden and bear much fruit. Pray that you would keep them on our hearts, that we might remember them often in prayer and support them and encourage them. And today we pray that you would fill him with your spirit so that he might preach as one who preaches the very words of God and be with our hearts and ears, that we might hear with good soil, that this word might take fruit and bear, bear fruit in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, we good, we good. I walk around, if I had to stand still, I, I don't know what happened. I'd have to leave and go to the bathroom or something. Because I'd be so wired up. Well, praise God for you. Always good to be at Seven Mile Road. Um, there's a Seven Mile Road road in Shemung, New Jersey. So I just want you to imagine me talking to Siri this morning saying, take me to Seven Mile Road. It said, there is no Seven Mile Road in Seven Mile Road in Shemung. There is no church on Seven Mile Road in Shemung, New Jersey. So um, praise God. So next chance you tell Siri to take you to Seven Mile Road Church, it will take you to Shemung, New Jersey on Seven Mile Road, <laughs> which is not a church. It's just a hick street with a bunch of trees and horses. And so, um, but it's good to be here. And if I had one thing to say to tell you, t tell me again, Pastor, one thing to tell Seven Mile Road in 2014 um, is stay faithful to the calling in which you've been called to this region to serve under these elders. Um, in church planting, I'll say that, and I'll qualify that in 10 seconds. In church planting, it seems like cats always trying to come up with something cool and new, and then there's always a, a shifting in a movement that you feel like, well, we've been coming here, but you know, da, da, da. no, relax. Stay faithful to those who have been faithful. Follow your leaders as you follow Christ. Um, and I think, and I, I prayed this today with the elders, is that I remember when Pastor Jay envisioned and would tell people about at our Acts 29's meetings, like, yo, I, I, I wanted a church with da 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 And then when I stand here and look, all, almost all the things that he said are here, and they're happening, and they're you, and they are the churches you support. They are the babies he has. That's the smile in his wife's face. That, that was the joy set before him, um, which was to see Christ um, incarnated into this Northeast region. 
And I'm saying, don't look to be flashy or look for something fancy and new. No, uh-uh. My father drove an Oldsmobile all his life. And it was old looking and it didn't ever go fast. But all my other uncles who had all them fast cars, they broke down regular. But my, my old pop just drove that steady Oldsmobile and he had that car almost 20 something years. And he would kill you if he even got near with a hamburger. But stay faithful to what God has called you to. And sometimes look from the, outside, from the inside out, it feels like, man, we could do this, we could do this. Take it from the dude from Camden, New Jersey, from the outside in. Man, y'all killing it for the glory of God, period. Y'all killing it for the glory of God. A lot of people are excited about what's happening here. You know, you got a whole bunch of churches in Boston who cheer and pray for y'all all the time. Acts 29 as a network is blessed because of Seven Mile Road, and we're blessed because of a Jay, um, a Jay Thomas and the pastors, elders, and leaders, and you at this church. So stay faithful to the calling you've been called. God sees, we see, and we're encouraged. Amen. And I'll give you a quick snapshot, and then I'm going to dive right into the text. Um, give you a quick snapshot of Epiphany Camden. What's before us right now is we've been looking for a building and um, couldn't find a building. Went through some corruption. You know, the city is, they be wilding in Camden. You know, jokers, jokers is on some serious corruption mode. But by God's grace, we've been able to navigate those waters, and we're looking to get a building. We have a deposit down on one now, an old Fourth Presbyterian church. Um, and, you know, I'm a... The unicorn in the, in the PC, in the Presbyterian church. I'm the black guy out of like 5,000 white dudes. Amen. So, um, and so we're real excited about that. We've seen about, we just baptized a host of people a couple of weeks ago. Some people that we met right off the bat who, um, some went to jail for attempted murder and different things. That doesn't make their soul more valuable than the person at law school. I'm just telling you what context we're dealing with to see those people come to Christ. And now we really want to take on the city heart with the building. So pray much for the building. Pray much for the church. Pastor, um, Minister A.J. Tom, Minister A.J., not A.J., I called, I tried to call A.J. yesterday and called A.J. And weird. And um, um, he's with us. And he's been with us from the beginning. He's a graduate of PBU. We're going to be planting him in 2015 or 16. Whenever he runs out of church plant resident money, then we'll kick him out. Because um, we're not giving them more. And um, we'll kick him out, and he'll be going to Cinnaminson. And I'm excited about that. I'll tell you why. Growing up in the hood, I'd never seen a hood church plant a church in the suburbs. So we're planting our... <laughs> I just didn't see it. I'm not joking. You know, a poor black church planting a white dude in the suburbs. You know what I mean? That'll be the first church that has to resupport the mother church in the first year. <laughs> so, you know. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, give you context. Our median income is like, we're the low, you know, Camden has the highest poverty in the country and, and in New Jersey. Median income in New Jersey is $67,000. We're $13,000 in Camden. AJ's going to about $82,000 median income from $13,000 in Camden. Um, we're sending a dude with dreads even to um, Cinnamon's in New Jersey. Amen, and um, so we're real, real excited about that. So, so keep those in prayer. Keep the building in prayer. Um, keep those young new believers in prayer. God is up to some crazy, crazy stuff. We are more than excited. It is not a curse for us to be in Camden. 
We are not doing God a favor because the neighborhood is so rough. We are happy to be where God placed us. As you see, I'm breathing, so I'm not dead. So Camden is bad, but I'm alive. My children have Xbox and they play it and nobody's breaking in, stealing their Xbox or bringing harm. God is with us and God is up to bringing unbelievers to become believers in the city of Camden by his grace. Amen. So in light of that, I want to step into talk to you from the text here in Hebrews um, in light of my thing that I want for you is to stay faithful and continue faithfully following godly leadership and, and a godly vision, which I believe has already been laid out. Um, again, I always say this, y'all robbed these, uh, the old church without a gun, stole their building, and then remodeled it. I, I see how y'all do. So, yeah, Seven Mile Road is really from Camden. Y'all thugs. Y'all stole the building from that church. Oh, man. Just preach for a couple of months and then get the free. Oh. Oh. I man, a little. And, <laughs> so in light of that faithfulness, as we kick off the new year, I want to point you to the text in Hebrews chapter 11, 23 through 30. The title of my sermon is Eternity Over Everything. And the idea of this is the Hall of Fame of Faith. I grew up in the African-American Baptist Church. And the homiletics, the preaching about this is ridiculously awesome. I don't know if the content ever was actually biblical, but it sounded cool from my preacher when I grew up. He could wear the robe and shout the choir would be behind him. I don't know if he actually said what was in the Bible, though. And so my revisitation of this passage really encouraged my soul to keep going on as we've seen multiple murders We've seen next door to Pastor Trevor, who also went to school at Benue and at PBU. We were watching a Mayweather fight. Please come up. The dude next door to Pastor Trevor's house murdered his girlfriend, broke her body up, put it in a suitcase, and stuck it in a closet. Um, over the past six months, that happened. Another gentleman down the street murdered a war hero. If you heard, if you saw that on CNN murdered a war hero from Camden about two weeks ago. He was breaking up a fight, had been home from Iraq, a six-year six tour, and he was just breaking up a fight, and a drunk dude walked up and shot him two times in his chest. And he lives seven doors down from me. He lives next door to Pastor Trevor. He's going to jail for life. Um, further down, there was a group of people I've been ministering to for three years. Forty-five of them went to jail on a million-dollar-a-month drug bus raid that took place in the city and um, so just imagine their pastor being looked at as a I guess I'm a drug dealing preacher that preaches to drug dealers and so that plethora of challenge um, can cause you to think maybe God doesn't have me here and I need to be reminded from some old heads and some young heads. So Pastor Jay is the young head that blesses me because he'll call you, he'll pray for 70 minutes like Billy Graham. He'll pray you happy. And, um, and so that's my living old head. Now my dead old head is Moses who never points me to his faithfulness. 
but he points me to Jesus' faithfulness. That's what this passage of 11 says. Father, be with us as we dive into your text. Open up our eyes and ears to hear what you would have to say to us. We believe that in the entombment of print, you have sealed this book for us to apply it to our lives today to bring you glory today as others in the past, broken, messed up people, brought you glory from this text. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Eternity over everything. Eternity with Christ over everything. So Hebrews 11 is in um, the chapter, the book of Hebrews. The author begins explaining and he begins to describe what faith is. We see that faith is being confident in the promises of God, which will eventually bring us eternal life. To help illustrate biblical faith, the author uses a number of Old Testament examples and the case study for our sermon today is Moses. The Jewish people saw Moses as a great hero of the faith. They wanted to revert back to his time and his teachings. They had posters up in their bedroom of Moses, Duncan or Michael Jordan. They worshiped, that was their alter ego, Moses. He was their guy. If, they, if, if Moses had sneakers and they were Air Moseses, the Jews would have wore them. Moses was great, but he never pointed to his greatness. All that God did with Moses was to point to the greater Moses that would come, and that would be Jesus, who is the Christ. So, so the, whole path, the whole Hebrews 11 is about faith that's hinged on the earlier passages because we start in Hebrews 11, 1, and it says, if, if you get there with me, now faith. And so that now pivot points us exegetically and expositionally all the way back to the whole book. I believe the writer of Hebrews was a black dude. Let me just mess with you. Because if you read Hebrews, he's unraveling the text. He's unraveling the text for like 10 chapters. And then in African-American Baptist preaching fashion, he says, now faith. And he begins to homiletically pull you in. And so... So for 10 chapters, he's been expounding historically and grammatically and, 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 and inserting explanation, implication, and application. Now he gets to the place where he's trying to convince those who have placed their trust in a dude named Moses that that Moses, and for all of your heroes, they all pointed to Jesus. I want you to be with me here because I, I need to talk and get this, I want to lay this theological foundation for us. So all the writer of Hebrews was doing was communicating Jesus is superior. Jesus is the God we ought to worship. Moses was cool. Abraham was cool. All them cats was cool. But their swagger can't compare with the eternal swagger of the living God. That's what he's pounding. So this faith, this assurance, faith is the substance of things hoped for. That's this assurance, this, this confidence. See, the word in the Greek, it's, Hupostasis is this essence, that which is placed under. Faith is the substance, the thing that holds up, that girds. It's the ground and the basis and the foundation and the support for what we believe. What does that mean? If you have faith, I have faith so much in this desk that I put my stuff on it. You had faith in that chair, blind faith. You didn't even check the legs before you sat down. So faith has an object, and the object of our faith is Jesus. So we put all our eggs in one basket. What Jesus said and what Jesus is promising, we are living day for day believing that what he says is true. Never seen him. 
never actually seen them. Can't prove this is true, but by faith, by faith in Jesus, not some wishing, hopeful mess, none of that, none of that palm reader, none of that spooky voodoo faith, but actual substantive faith, believing in the witnesses and the story and the history that Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, is the Messiah. He is the one that was promised. He is the one Isaiah talked about. He is the one Abraham talked about. I don't know about you, but I've heard of a lot of heroes as an African-American growing up. I had Martin Luther King and Langston Hughes, and I wanted to be all them. And I'm so glad that a mama prayed for me and told me, I ain't mad at none of them, but your hero is Jesus. Your hero is Jesus. And remember, Jesus is the hero of every story in the Bible. He is the Neo. Everybody else is the Morpheus. They're all subplots. He's the hero. He's the main action figure. He's the poster we ought to have up on our wall. If he had Jordans, we would wear Air Jesuses. Air Moses would be our play sneakers. So he's the ground and the basis. So I want to call you into my three little points. So my first idea is eternity over the moment. Eternity over the moment. Verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. See, at the time when there was no future for Hebrew boys, Moses' parents knew differently and looked forward to God doing something special with their son. They saw that God had favor on the boy and that they had to make a choice. And they chose. And I want to make sure you understand, faith, God does not encroach on your choices with faith, but he inserts his beauty, his wisdom, and his spirit into you so that your choices are aligned with his choices. So he, he, he's not some robotic hacking into your computer system and forcing you some way, but his grace is so magnificently beautiful, he hooks you without a hook. You're just so magnificently drawn to what he wants. Your heart is so bent towards what he wants. Your choices now are affected by the Holy Ghost that resides in you. That's good. That's good news. So, so, so faith had a choice. Faith makes a choice. They chose by faith to make a decision in faith with God's favor and hand as the object. Let me tell you, this word beautiful, interesting word. Um, I, I, I went to a Presbyterian seminary, so everybody's got this hyper, goofy, academic thing. So I've heard it so many ways. And then I was like, I don't even want to touch it. But this word beauty is simply a word that means, Doug Logan translation, he saw something that the uh, eye without faith couldn't see. See, beauty. I don't know what AJ, what a J saw in the Northeast. I don't know. He kept saying he was going to the Northeast. I said, why? Them people have houses and driveways to stay away from people. They mean, they got money, and they don't like Indians. And the Indians don't even like Indians. I've been through Northeast. The police, I get pulled over for driving while black. Only part of Philly is Northeast. Best Buy is more expensive in Northeast than the other section. Why do you want to go to the Northeast? You're up in Boston. There's a great revival going on through the four seas at Seven Mile Road, Boston. You preaching and killing it. Pastor Matt loves you. Why the heck 
Are you coming here? He saw something beautiful that was going to happen here because God, by faith, he believed God was calling him here. You with me? Y'all can say amen. I know y'all not Baptists. Y'all can say amen. And so this is the position of the parents of Moses. They saw something in this boy that God was going to do that they didn't know exactly. They didn't have a prophecy. They didn't call a 1-800-9 and send some money. They just looked on and said, dang it, God is about to do something with this boy. I don't know what it is, but I want to trust him and not fear man's insertion. So they made a decision out of faith in God and not fear of man. They hid Moses for three months to avoid his execution and waited on God's purpose to work itself out. So, of course, I'll give you the quick story. Moses, um, the Pharaoh, was eliminating because there was too many Hebrew boys, and they thought that the Hebrew boys would rise up and take over. So they said, you know what? This is how we're going to work it. We're going to kill them. And if we get caught with a the, with the man-child, a baby, that's a male, we're going to kill them and you. So when they saw what God was up to, he couldn't, they had to operate in faith in God and not fear of man. Very difficult. Very difficult. We say it, you know, we spiritualize it. I'm a pastor. I get paid to say it. But when the rubber hits the road, it's very hard. So I praise God for the example that the writer of Hebrews is bringing out, that Moses' parents saw something that God was doing, and they rather put their faith in him and not their fear in man. See, the parents had to make a choice. The parents had faith from the jump they saw he was beautiful. They dared to dream that their son, through his dear rearing and through God's power, would do something great. They weren't afraid of the edict of the, the, edict of the king. And this is what I want to give you some, some application that we can take a lesson from Moses' parents. They didn't worship their kids, they worshiped God. They didn't place faith in how beautiful or how smart their children were. They put faith in what God was able to do with them. Very important, I'm, I can be a child worshiper. My son cannot do any wrong and they're so cute. Even when they're babies, they're pretty ugly, but we say they're so cute. All babies are ugly, I think, you know, that first couple weeks. I like the eyes open, then I can work with them. I'm just joking, don't get me, don't, don't tweet that. <laughs> We must call eternity into our moment. We must call eternity, because if we dwell on the moment, we'll make the moment a monument, and that monument will seem the unmovable, and it will hinder everything around that idea, and it will move you from faith to fear. So if you call eternity into the moment, now you stand back, and this mountain is no longer a mountain. It's just a, 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 a measly speed bump in the totality of eternity. And it's, and it's nothing, it's nothing compared to the God we serve. Because if God be for us, the Bible says, who can be against us? Doug Logan translation, if God be for us, what does it matter who's against us? So we must call eternity into our moment. We can't get locked on the moment, but we got to get locked into eternity. My second idea, so my first idea was eternity over the moment. In that moment, they did not, they chose to send their child down the Nile trusting God because he was beautiful. They didn't get locked into the moment and get lost in the moment and make the moment a monument, but they saw eternity in their moment. The second idea 
is eternity over comfort. Verse 24, let me read for your hearing. By faith, Moses was, he, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. So this is eternity over comfort. So at the time when um, comfort and safety and status had no future outside of the Egyptian royal court, Moses thought something different. Moses knew differently. See, in the world at that time, you know, Egypt was the ruling beauty ultimate spot. It was Vegas, New York, L.A. wrapped up into one. They had the best medical facilities. They had the money. They had the clubs. They had the, the, the best malls. You can do all the shopping with coupons and everything. So this place was the metropolis. It was the ultimate place of the world. It was the talk about. And you found safety and food and security there. But at the call of Moses, at the call of God to Moses, he recognized that he rather be mistreated with the people of God than deal in the pleasures of the comforts of the house. See, that's what, that's what God will do to you. He'll take your comfort and turn it on its upside, turn it upside down and put you in the place where he wants you because he wants your comfortable place to be wherever he wills that you are. We cannot get locked into the comforts of our dreams and our desires. We have to think of eternity over our temporal comfort. And, we, and as believers in Christ, we ought to find our comfort no matter how rugged it is in Christ. If you don't believe me, let's talk about Golgotha's Hill. There was no posturepedic on Golgotha's Hill on that great day. There was no one, the song says, to wipe the death dew from Jesus' forehead. There was nobody to give him an ibuprofen or some iodine for the nails in his hand. There was nobody to cover up his nakedness. There was nobody to wipe the spit off of our Savior and our Lord. There was nobody to stand, in his, stand for him and to acknowledge that he was an innocent man. Can I tell you, it was catastrophic because all the world was against him, even his father put the wrath of the world on him on that Calvary's cross. It was uncomfortable. It was misery. But he said, Father, I commend to you my spirit. He saw eternity over comfort because the cross was uncomfortable. Some of you grew up with dreams of being a doctor or a lawyer or something, and God might be cutting your dream out for his dream for you. Don't you fight him, and don't you allow paternal desires of mom, dad, and grandma for you to be something that God is calling you to be something else. Period. You don't get a pass. I don't want to hear, well, you know, it'll break our heart. It'll break God's heart when you disobey him to please people. Eternity over comfort. I'm black from the hood. I still didn't want to go to Camden. I don't know why people think that. Okay? I, I, well, Doug, you know, he's black. Camden is perfect for him. I'm about to curse in here. You know, when people get killed, it's, you know, Doug can handle it. I would have easily took, I wouldn't have took the Northeast. But I would have took Raleigh, North Carolina in a minute. I 
I'd take Boston with Matt, you know. Good gosh. I would went to Gordon Conwell and, you know, I would have went to Roxbury. I'm getting back up here. I sound like a threat from God. And I don't want you to think I'm so comfortable in the most, the most violent city in America. I don't want you to think it's comfortable because people are getting saved. I'm excited that God is being glorified. But murder, rape, poverty, I'm not comfortable. People think, well, Doug's in a place he loves. And that place is not Camden. That place is in the will of God. And since I'm in the will of God in Camden, I can love Camden. Simply put, Moses had to vacate the palace to bring freedom to oppressed people. And that was the same for us moving to Camden. Um, we left our little nice neighborhood in West Oak Lane to move to a rugged block. Um, it was challenging. We're coming in and we hear about robberies. And one thing when I did, when I checked for houses, I checked like at night when they were selling crack on the corner, when the prostitutes were out. I wanted to see what it looked like. It was a challenge. I want you to notice Moses did not cling to his so-called rights as the prince of Egypt, but he became a slave with the slaves. That's something crazy. He became a slave with the slaves because he recognized he had to vacate the palace to bring, to bring freedom to oppressed people. Moses recognized, see, I can't pull up in a limo from Cherry Hill, New Jersey to Camden and preach and be relevant. I haven't given up anything. But God calls us. That's the beauty of incarnation. Incarnation means local and present. Jesus was local and present. Philippians 2, 5 and 8 helps me with what I'm trying to tell you. Look what it says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So Jesus, too, vacated the palace of heaven in eternal beauty with God. You gotta understand, Jesus, the Trinity, and they have a perfect dance moves. They never are out of sync. And they enjoyed the beauty of one another. They would look at each other and be like, boy, you looking good. The Holy Spirit would say, you too, Jesus. Jesus would say, Father, you look great. And they was always perfectly aligned and absolutely beautiful. No time, no sin, no challenge. And the father saw fit to, to send his son to vacate the glory of the unity of the Trinity, to send his son to this earth that he might, that he might liberate oppressed people. You and I do not get off the hook for that. So you and I are called out of our comfort in to bring glory to God. Because the cross, I've already told you, was not comfortable. For me, moving to Camden wasn't necessarily comfortable. And for some of the things God is calling you to, it will not be comfortable. I want to challenge you, though, do not chase comfort, chase God. Do not chase your dream, chase God. 
Do not chase pleasing your relatives five generations back. Chase God. Eternity over everything. Eternity with Christ over everything. That's where our faith lies. That's where our security is. And that's where our comfort must be. And Moses had to make a choice, and he did. Moses chose not to have his identification with the Egyptians. When about, and this challenges our, uh, I told you, our parenting skills. And, and so he leaves his $2.5 million house in Aruba to come to a row home in Detroit. That's what Moses did, and Jesus came to a lower level. But he threw his lot in with Israel and not with Egypt. And let me give you this, this picture. When I went to North Carolina A&T in 1988 as a freshman, we all were from all different parts of the country. And we all had, you know, high school stuff, hats and all of our stuff, you know, we had. And we had our state swag. So I was like, I'm from Patterson, New Jersey. Woo! And there was jokers like from Alabama, thought they were crazy. And um, everybody had their little hat, their little logo. Well, the Klan marched through Greensboro that year. And then there was an attack, sort of a fight between a couple of A&T people, which is a historically black college, and the Klan. At that point, I was no longer from Patterson, New Jersey. And that dude was no longer from New York and from Alabama. But we were all from North Carolina A&T, seeking to stand together out of our comfort to protect and defend ourselves from being killed by the Ku Klux Klan. We have to throw our lot in with North Carolina A&T. Moses did not put his lot in with Egypt, but he chose to be mistreated and he threw his lot in with the people of God. So that's what God calls you to. Throw your lot in in his promises with his people. I got two more quick points. How bad am I doing, AJ? Oh, gosh. <laughs> so eternity over the moment, eternity over comfort. My third point, they're pretty easy. 26, look what it says. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the reward. So my third point is suffering of Christ over comforts of the palace. I sort of touched on that, but even deeper, it moved from his comfort in the palace to now the writer of Hebrews identifying that as a type of Christ. He recognized that long-term future laid with the people of God and the kingdom of Christ was premier for his life. And it lined with the promises of God. So I simply say trust Christ over Moses. The writer of Hebrews is aligning Christ as superior to Moses, and he's aligning Christ, he's aligning Moses as saying Moses trusted Christ in this situation. He trusted faith in God over the situation. As he would be talking to Jews or Pharisees who would make their alter ego, um, their Facebook um, banner would be Moses. He's saying, listen, Moses, you think you should worship him. Moses worshiped Christ. So we're not mad at Moses, but you need to look to who Moses pointed you to because he didn't point you to himself, but he pointed you to the superiority of the, of the high king of heaven. 
Moses gave up his lot as a prince of Egypt. And we have to give up the world and embrace the cross. Luke 14, 33 helps us with that. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus is a tough taskmaster. It is not some cute Thomas Kincaid picture. Christianity is not. Christianity is not some cute Facebook post that can be edited. Christianity is a real rugged life, and the Savior we serve calls for real people with real problems to really trust him. Not some cute utopian idea. Christianity is rugged. People all over this world get killed for naming Christ. People all over this world get ostracized for naming Christ. And we, within our sin, we still are challenged with trusting and believing him. And this is the picture here of Moses. I love the passage because it says in verse 26, he considered. See, faith is not mindless. He considered. He thought it through. The, um, I think the King James version in the Elizabethan English says he reckoned. He worked it out in his mind. And in so doing, he chose suffering. He didn't say if obeying God is going to cause me problems, I'll just opt out. If obeying God's going to call me problems, I'll just, you know, I'll be low-key. I'll do bedside Baptist, you know, with Reverend Sheets, and I'll just stay home, and I'll avoid the challenge. If, if obeying God is going to cause me issue, are you going to deal with the issue, or are you going to opt out for comforts to avoid the real issues of this world? Because the people in Northeast, right now, if they have no clue of Jesus, God has sent you as the ultimate email to invade the darkness of their life. And they're not expecting you to sit back and not make them and, and mess up their comfort. They're, by God's grace, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a person who despised God in the church. I'm so glad somebody thought well enough and trusted Christ enough to make me uncomfortable with his grace. I'm so glad I owned a barbershop 10 years in Willingboro. I'm so glad the miserable deacons kept telling me I was going to hell if I didn't trust Christ. And I didn't like them. I would tell them to get out of my shop. I would mess their haircut up on purpose. Keep telling me that stuff. And they kept telling me, and they kept telling me. They kept disrupting me. They kept putting themselves in harm's way that I might meet the living God. And this is what Moses, he considered it. He recognized that he would suffer, but he thought it through, and he says, I'm still going to suffer, and in my suffering, it's going to point to the greater sufferer, the greater Moses, the one who's going to deliver me, myself. He reckoned, he worked it out in his mind, and he chose suffering over the problems to be... And he chose to be against the most powerful nation in the world. I want you to get that. When he chose to put his lot in with the people of God over, over Egypt, he went against the world's powerhouse, and he stood before the president, the God of the world at that point, and told him, my God says, let my people go. It's not like us having a hard time engaging our neighbors who just don't like you because you don't cut your grass right. We have it so easy. We can just invite them to Applebee's two for 20. We can email them a scripture. Moses had to walk into the palace against the most powerful man on earth who considered himself God and say, punk, you ain't God. My God is God. And then you know what? He had to go so much further that God had to use him to prove it. Let me tell you how he did it. So if, if, if Ramses or the Pharaoh at that time considered himself God, which he did, then what did that make his son? 
the son of God. With me? So when the plagues come about, and the most vicious plague was, the, was if you take the Passover, that you wipe out everybody who did not have their door covered by the blood. When Pharaoh's son died, he showed, Yahweh showed Pharaoh, my son is the son that will be resurrected. Your son will die and will not come back. He's, this is what Moses was riding on. Moses is God murdered Pharaoh's son. Questionably on earth, the son of God. You should feel much more confident now about sharing the gospel with your coworker. <laughs> that neighbor's not so bad anymore, is he? You can talk at Starbucks about Jesus now. This is what Moses, he chose to be. He didn't choose the prince in the palace, but he chose to be the peasant with the impoverished people. Faith takes on suffering, Christ's suffering. He murdered the low Egyptian servant we know because he was beating the toast out of the Hebrew. And he vacated the palace to liberate the lost. He didn't keep the treasures in Egypt. He took on suffering. God has not called us to live in our comfort zone or our color zone. For the joy set before him, Jesus chose to come and liberate broken, lost people and suffering the full wrath, not just of some Romans beating the toast out of him on the cross, but suffered the full wrath of the Father, who, when everybody abandoned Jesus, so did the Father on the cross. But it pleased them to crush him. If he's not abandoned, we are all lost. But Jesus, our wrath-bearing Redeemer, suffered the full weight of our sin. And he looks at us with a smile. The Old Testament says he dances over us with singing. Bring the hope of Jesus into hopeless situations. That's my application for you. In the, you have friends and relatives and people going through don't just be a good counselor. Be a good Christian and bring the hope of Jesus into hopeless situations. And if it's going to cause you to suffer, so be it. Let's suffer well for his glory. Let's suffer well for his name. Let's suffer well for the loss that they might meet him. It's worth it. How do I know? I'm looking at some people who Jesus suffered well for, and y'all know them. And he's taken resident in your hearts. And he's the president of your soul. I'm so glad that he suffered. I'm so glad that he murdered death so that death couldn't murder us. And my last idea, and I got to quit. I think I got one minute left, and I'm going to do it so quick. Y'all not going to know what just happened. Verse 28. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. My last idea is resting in God's deliverance over self-effort. Resting in God's etern eternal deliverance over self-effort. He endured. He endured. See, faith is not an escape hatch. But faith is standing in the midst of the storm and trusting that God will be your bomb shelter. Colossians 1 
10 through 11 tells us this. So as to walk in the, a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood and destroyed the firstborn. Might not touch them, so he endured. Faith wasn't an escape hatch for Moses. He didn't pull the lever to get out of the deal. Not like, you know, men in black when they, when they do the little thing and trigger your mind and make you forget everything. It's not an escape hatch, but it's a place of standing. It can be an uncomfortable place. Trusting in the faith, having faith in Christ is not always comfortable. It doesn't always feel good. It doesn't render an emotional good, koozie koozie, ha la 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 feeling. It doesn't. It's hard. Doesn't make it not in a, a commandment of God. So Moses went from 40 years on the farm, 40 years in the field, and Moses needed Christ's blood too. Outside of himself, applied to his life. I'm going to say this and I'm going to stop. Exodus 14, 13. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. When we rest in God's deliverance, and deliverance in the New Testament is, is the comprehensive salvation of removing that person from having a beef with God to being at peace with God. Sometimes we grew up, I grew up in the charismatic church, deliverance was the specific deliverance is over. No, deliverance is the totality of God pulling you out of darkness and moving you into his kingdom of light. And when we rest in that, that passage, give me that passage back. It's not an escape hatch. You right now might be experiencing challenges and problems, relational, financial. Maybe you're suffering from depression. Maybe you've got anger issues, bitterness. Maybe you've been molested or maybe mistreated by your parents. Maybe you're struggling to believe that Jesus is real. I think Moses is your twin, and I am certainly your twin. And he doesn't give 10 steps or point us to Dr. Phil. Oprah's a liar. All her stuff don't work. She's a liar. She doesn't believe in Jesus. I don't care how, if she has CC whining singing on her show, that don't count. Here's my simple challenge. I don't have a degree, but I can counsel you with this. Fear not. Stand firm. See, experience intimately the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you. You can't work it for yourself. You're not going to get yourself out of depression and stress and anxiety and fear and bitterness. He must work it for you. Moses recognized that he needed Christ too. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. And what he's saying is, when God starts working in your situation, in your, in your pain, he does not step outside with latex gloves, but he steps into our mess. Yeah. 
fully in, and he works you in the mess. He doesn't stand outside. My father would say, I would fall on the ground, and my father would say, Doug Sr., he said, come over here, boy, and I'll help you up. <laughs> Just went over your head. <laughs> That's not what Jesus says. Jesus comes down into your situation to remove the bitterness, the anger, the anxiety, the stress, the fear, the doubt, and he's present with you. He doesn't remove it, then leave you. Isn't that good? But he stays with you. His bedside manner is ridiculous, and he stays with you. And even while you doubt him while he's there, he loves you, and he's faithful. Father, be with us even now. Lord, we want to be faithful believers. We want to show your name off as mighty. God, we want your name to be the most famous name in the Northeast. And we, I ask for specifically, God, that you would use Seven Mile Road Church to be um, local and present, to show off your glory in, in all areas of life. And I pray, God, that you would bring many people who hate you right now, who don't know you, right now, that through their ministry, they would know you, meet you, and we would see a bunch of baptisms right here in this very room. So glorify yourself. Have your way. Lord, we need you. Meet us in our brokenness for your glory, by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.